the Ghost Goal Podcast. It's the end of an era for Chelsea fans, as Roman Abramovich has announced today, Wednesday, March 2nd, that he will be selling Chelsea Football Club in the wake of the crisis undergoing in the Ukraine. It's a move that will send seismic shifts through British football, and uh, not just for Chelsea fans, uh, but we've obviously got Premier League action still going on this weekend, as Liverpool will host West Ham, Watford will host Arsenal, and Manchester City and Manchester United will renew their rivalry. Welcome to the Ghost Squad Podcast, episode 347. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Uh, I start with the Roman Abramovich news because as a Chelsea fan, I don't know if there's uh, any more, you know, giant event in the club's history uh, that I can remember other than the day Abramovich bought Chelsea. So Yeah, I mean, this this feels like he's being driven out of the club by forces outside of his control, you know, because this man has a poured into the last 15 years of his life and a lot of his fortune into the club and almost 20 it's been 19 yeah 19 given, years. Them, given them i mean at, at least two billion dollars of his money if not more i, th- I think th- probably closer to three billion um and made the club win two champions leagues you know five premier league titles four four five five yeah yeah i mean uh all of that in 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 19 years is yeah, Javier, we're the impressive. winningest club in England in the 21st century. No one has more major trophies than Chelsea in the 21st century. So, uh, but before we like really talk about it, give both our opinions on it, I, I do just want to read the statement itself. It's not long. I'll, I'll just get through it real quick, but I think it does, you know, provide a little bit of context that we can, you know, we can build off of. Uh, He said uh, it was just an hour before kickoff earlier today released a statement on the club website saying, I would like to address the speculation in media over the past few days in relation to my ownership of Chelsea FC. As I've stated before, I have always taken decisions with the club's best interest at heart. In the current situation, I have therefore taken the decision to sell the club, as I believe this is in the best interest of the club, the fans, the employees, as well as the club's sponsors and partners. The sale of the club will not be fast-tracked, but will follow due process. I will not be asking for any loans to be repaid. This has never been about business, nor money for me, but about pure passion for the game and club. Moreover, I have instructed my team to set up a charitable foundation where all net proceeds from the sale will be donated. The foundation will be the benefit of all victims of the war in Ukraine. This includes providing critical funds towards the urgent and immediate needs of victims, as well as supporting the long-term work of recovery. Please know that this has been an incredibly difficult decision to make, and it pains me to part with the club in this manner. However, I do believe that this is in the best interest of the club. I hope that I will be able to visit Stamford Bridge one last time to say goodbye to you all in person. It has been a privilege of a lifetime to be a part of Chelsea FC, and I am proud of all of our joint achievements. Chelsea Football Club and its supporters will always be in my heart. Thank you, Roman. I'm cracking up a little bit reading that, man. No, 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 no. <laughs> World's smallest violin uh, over here. Fuck you, Roman Abramovich, no, and your no, no, blood no. money. No, no, you no. know what? 
that's fine. So you're, you're just he can, he can that. act it's all, all bullshit. No, fuck you, Roman. He's all acting all like okay. Javier, sad before you before you go on, before you go on and you no, slander no, I'm, him. I'm anymore. messing with you, Alex. That was a that was a nice statement from him. That was uh that was very classy and like I said, it was clear that this was not his choice. He didn't want to leave the club and I'm sure he would have loved to keep the club for for the rest of his life. Um, I'm sure this was his most prized asset and seemingly, uh, you know, between these last few years, he's been having all these troubles, get, even just getting into England. You know, it seemed like he was starting to get a little bit of disillusioned already with the club. There were rumors of being of the club being sold in the last few years. And this I now happening with the war of Ukraine. Well, no, there was when he was when when initially that that, you know, they, that he wasn't going to build the stadium and he was like, okay, well, if you're not going to let me build the stadium, then I'm just not going to invest in, into the, like essentially into England anymore. Yeah. But that, that's just patently false. You know, he has multiple real estate investments all over. He has multiple real estate investments all over London. He is, you know, he donates a shitload to the Char- Chelsea charitable foundation already, which has m- like multiple links with, you know, anti-Semitic, uh, organizations, organizations that are battling anti-Semitism, I should say, uh, all other kinds of charitable like organizations speak extremely highly of the work that Chelsea has been doing and like what they've been investing into the community there. So people who just like to make out that he's, you know, basically the, 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 the accusations lobbied against him are that he's laundering money for Putin and the Russian government. Yeah, that he that just he put ha- billions of dollars that, because, that were of laundered money essentially into Chelsea and that that money, you know. But it, here's my question. There are so many owners from different countries all around the world that, you know, invest into football clubs. And then once they've bought the club and, you know, bought it with by using a ton of debt in order to buy the club initially, then they just sit on the club and they only start to really get involved with it and worry about it if like the bottom line starts becoming affected. That's Arsenal, that's Manchester United. There's other clubs around the world we could talk about, but those are the two that come to mind. Roman Abramovich for the last 19 years, if he was just laundering money and just needed a vessel to like make all of this blood money that people are saying it is legitimate, why would he then go like the extra mile in you know, buying players, like making sure that all of this money is being put in for the club to actually be successful. When you, you could just sit you, on it. Have and, you seen Ozark, Alex? That's just not how it works. No, you can't just sit I, I, on I illegal money. Yeah, you can't just sit on illegal money. You have to put it into something legitimate and it takes a long time. So yeah, over the years, you pump in 50 million, 100 million every year and sometimes more than that. And yeah, he's forgiving 1.5 billion in debt. Again, that was, that was, La- a, a, a laundered money. Don't say that's nothing. Don't say that's nothing. He, he's worth fourteen billion, reportedly, for him to forgive a one point five billion dollar debt, which is the debt he mentioned in that statement. You, even for a man as rich as him, you, that's not nothing. Like that's what backs up the. This has always been about passion for the club and for football. He's he's a big football fan first and I foremost. I don't doubt that part. I don't doubt that part. But like he he. I, I'm not saying he bought Chelsea, loving Chelsea. He bought the club when he was looking at clubs like Tottenham and mostly London clubs. And you know, I, I, I'll admit he probably wasn't in love with like Chelsea specifically, but obviously over the years, he's he's brought about like the golden era of Chelsea Football Club. The only way is down from here. That's that's why I'm. 
Part, partly why yeah, I'm I mean, upset. I, I, no, I, I can I can contextualize I, that. With, I mostly you know, don't like club. him because he. I think he started the the of trend of like owners of, of owners coming in spending insane amounts say, of money. You can't say he started club that. Spending, club spending Jack way more Warner money was than doing what that they, in Blackburn in the nineties. You, you can't say he started that when Blackburn did that in the nineties, and then you know it only lasted for a couple of years, and then he, he was ran coming out of money in and buying like people for like five million or ten million, which is crazy. Then Abramovich came and set world records. Over and over and over and over and yeah, over so, and over so again. They were doing the same with Blackburn in the nineties. Um, the the amounts just aren't as gaudy as, as they seem now. So I mean, also that would have come regardless also, of whether I, I, I don't did or know. Chelsea. I don't know how Jack Warner got his debt or not, but he's he's an Englishman, right? He's not a Russian oligarch. Uh, very big difference between that. As hard as this is to believe, Javier, there are rich people in England too. It, it does happen. Um, I I just want to. I just want to say, I, I was starting there for a second. I have to contextualize the fact that as a Chelsea fan, I am, you know, it, it's it's sad. Roman's our greatest ever owner. I have to contextualize that, though, with obviously there's, you know, real suffering and real, like, pain going on in Ukraine. And all all of these people, you're, you're if you go online and to any, you know, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, you'll see a bunch of people slating Chelsea fans, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead celebrating the the end of Chelsea. I understand that. But I think it is important for those people to understand that the reason this is happening is because there is, uh, frankly, a catastrophe going on in a country where, you know, thousands, if not millions of people are suffering. Uh, So, you know, when when you're laughing at Chelsea, keep that in mind. Like, you have to take that into account as a Chelsea fan, that obviously with all the real world suffering that's going on in, in Ukraine, Yes, Chelsea is a casualty of it, and you know it, it. It feels like it has a big impact on us as Chelsea fans, but it, it pales in comparison to all of the real, the real world things that are going on as a result of this conflict. So, you know, have a bit of humility with this as Chelsea fans. We've won everything you could possibly hope to win in the 19 years that Abramovich has been owner. I still remember the second ever Chelsea game I went to at the Bridge was Roman Abramovich's first game. As the owner, my dad and my sister were sitting close enough to the tunnel that they could shake his hand when he walked out, and I didn't get to because I was too far down the row. And uh, I mean, we drew one-one with with Leicester. Adrian Mutu scored off a rebounded free kick. It was a great day, great experience. The last time I was at Chelsea for for a game, and I was only eleven years old. So from that point till now, he's given us this, you know, forgiveness of one point five billion worth of debt. World class players. A world-class training ground that has created a world-class academy. Frankly, the best academy in the world. I can, you know, confidently say now, every trophy in football. And at the time when he bought Chelsea, we were months away from going into administration ourselves. The threats you see at at Bury and and uh, at Derby now, we were only a few months away from that same fate happening, like being suffered ourselves in Chelsea, possibly not existing now. So Chelsea fans owe Abramovich everything in terms of like what he's done for the club. But you can't you can't be, you know, too pissed off that all of these circumstances have led to Abramovich selling the club. You know, it's unfortunate, but he's left the club in a much stronger position than where he where he bought it. And I'm confident that, you know, we're not going to be the same dominant figure in in English football that uh, we were with Abramovich. Oh, but I'm there's glad enough groundwork that has been. Yeah, she's going to. Yeah, be she will be gone. But 
I'm glad to see there's enough groundwork that has been laid during the Abramovich era that Chelsea Football Club can still have a very promising and great future. So change is scary, but it's just part of life, right? So do you want to talk about some actual football? Yeah, let's do that. No more of this uh, dirty blood Russian oligarchs that nobody likes other than Chelsea fuck up, dude. <laughs> I'm sick of you people just going like, ah, this corrupt blood money and this providing zero evidence. Like, that's, people just get to slander the man's name without, you know, providing I mean, any sort you're of a Russian like, actual oligarch, concrete evidence. You, you, you've, you've killed people to have your money. Uh, because you were part of the communists coming up and then you turned to the other side so that you could keep your money. So I don't want to hear anything when yeah, nobody, he's, nobody he's has not fucking, old, he's not old enough for that Javier. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> has, uh, nobody has whatever his dad that gave him his money. Nobody has any sympathy for him. Yeah, no, that's not it either. Dude, you're just literally proving me more and more right by just throwing out shit. You have no idea about <laughs> you're making this too easy, man. You could have done, you could have Googled a bit. <laughs> <laughs> nah, because I don't but care like enough we about said, him, and uh, and I'll be happy to let, never think get to about the that football. man ever again. Let's get to the football. Yeah. Well, he's, he hasn't sold Chelsea yet, so uh, it might not be the last we, we've heard of him. This weekend, there's uh, three main games we want to focus on, uh, first of which will be Saturday at 12.30 p.m., Liverpool hosting West Ham. Uh, let me check. Liverpool were still playing when we started recording this. Yeah, they did end up beating Norwich 2-1 in... Uh, in the FA Cup uh, at home. So they're through to the next round. Liverpool also had a 11-10 uh, win over Chelsea in the Carabao Cup final last weekend. Uh, the only thing that that game proved is that uh, Quiven Kelleher can score a penalty and Kepa can't. Yeah, Kef- Congratulations, Liverpool. Yeah, that was that was kind of crazy. The, the, the quality of the penalties was so high from both teams. And then you just knew that... I honestly thought that it was going to be Chalaba and Chalaba almost missed his penalty... I thought it, I thought it was going to be Konate, and Kepa got a hand to it. But oh yeah, it that out. was the as other one. As soon as that one went in, I was like, looked, oh, "We're losing." I mean, you knew because they were both the, the ones right before the keeper, so you just knew that those were the, probably the least confident on the whole team. But the fact that the, they buried it, I was like, "Oh man, it might restart, and we might be, we might see the initial penalty takers go again," which I had never really seen. So this was uh, still, I think it was a, it was a, it was still a great final for a nil nil. There was there was very little between both the teams. Chelsea missed so many chances, and it's got to be said, the referee did a horrible job again. I mean, we complain about the referees every every single week on this pod, but I mean that that stamp that um, Keita had on 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 Chalaba. Apparently, he had See, a bunch of stitches I, right I after the game. Yeah, he had twelve stitches in the locker room. <laughs> Tuchel said there was basically surgery going on in the locker room after the game, and also he, that happened in the sixtieth minute when Keita, uh, you know, cleated. Uh, Chalaba in the upper thigh. He played the rest of the game, played an- another hour, 30 minutes of f- full time, and then the 30 minutes of extra time, and then he scored his penalty. Like, the guy's an absolute Goliath. I love him. We're not here to talk about Chelsea, though. We're talking about this Liverpool uh, West Ham game. Though, up until this whole announcement of the sale of Chelsea, I was prepared to come into this pod like red hot about, you know, that Carabao Cup final. But now I'm just like, ah, whatever. We lost on penalties. It was a flip a coin and, you know, maybe we would have won it. But West Ham themselves, I think they got knocked out of the FA Cup uh, this afternoon by Southampton. They lost 3-1 to Southampton. Yeah, lost 3-1 to Southampton. Um, They did get a a big win over Wolves to kind of, you know, give a little buffer zone between uh, those two clubs in the league last week. They really outplayed Wolves in that. I mean, they could have had three or four goals um, especially in that first half, Wolves did absolutely nothing and just were not at the races. 
Um, but I was very impressed with, again, just that Suchek Rice midfield. I mean, they just absolutely dominate everyone they play against. And uh, I don't know how much longer Declan Rice and Suchek are going to be at West Ham, but they they stand a chance against anyone when those two are playing. And um, I think they stand a chance against getting something here at Liverpool because on form in the league, they're they're still playing well. You know, they're outside shots for that top four, but I think it's, they could definitely still make the top six. You know, they could make Europa League next season, so... Yeah, they, they should expect top six. And, you know, like I've said on previous pods, if they focus on Europa League, West Ham, that is, maybe they've got a chance of winning that while sort of maintaining the sixth place finish in case Europa League doesn't work out. They can be, you know, re-entered into that competition next year. But, you know, this this Liverpool game, before the Chelsea Cup final, they were obviously on a run of games where, you know, they were just piping teams like Leeds and, and Norwich, put six past Leeds and three past Norwich. They created plenty of chances against Chelsea. The, like the expected goals was about even, and they did have a, a goal chalked off themselves for Van Dijk being offside. But I got to say, with their strongest team out there, I, I I didn't think they... Well, Thiago got injured before the I didn't think they were that... And he's out they weren't for like as three dominant. weeks with a groin strain or something. Yeah, yeah. That, that's true, but I mean, I don't think Thiago is like the be-all, end-all of their midfield. If like Jordan Henderson's out, I would be much more worried about their midfield performing without him than without Thiago. He's kind of like a, speci- a specialty player, you know? It's kind of like Jorginho for us. We can do without him, but, you know, we'd rather have him. This game, I just think West Ham, like from what I've seen of Liverpool recently, I think West Ham, there are still avenues for them to get at Liverpool. Uh, they're a team that's more than happy to sit in like they're going to be asked to do at Anfield. And I honestly think we could see the the whole narrative of Liverpool pushing themselves back into the, the, the title race. We could see that cut off with like a 1-1 here this weekend. And that's that's what I'm going to predict. How about yourself? I think I saw enough in that Chelsea game from the the Diaz, Mane, Salah front three. Um, and Jota barely, he did come in, I think, in extra time for Liverpool, but he didn't really play that much. Sa- Salah was anonymous. Rudiger and Alonso shut Salah down, but I think that was because Rudiger was was absolutely at it in that in that final, um, and but Chalaba was on skates by Luis Diaz the entire game, and Diaz looks like he's growing into that role for Liverpool. I don't know how long he can keep up. He's running his ass off right now, and I don't know how if he's like going to be get hurt or like if he can keep this up for for the. The amount of games that I'm guessing Klopp's going to manage him, and maybe you know, maybe he's going to he, be on the bench for this one. He didn't play today. Oh, he didn't. Okay. He uh, he he didn't. Oh wait, no, he came on in the 84th minute, so he got a rest today. Um, but they they basically rested like they're in Liverpool rested their entire team for this FA Cup game. Henderson yeah, played. I'm going to say and, I'm going to say you know, Liverpool still Konate. win this. They're at home. They're on pretty imperious form, especially at home. So they they've won their last six seven games right now running so in all competitions I mean I know that they drew I guess with Chelsea but they still won on penalties there so I'm gonna say 2-1 they didn't win they didn't win Grieven Keller proved he can score penalties better than Kepa that's uh that's all that's the only trophy they won (laughs) I'm not bitter at all uh but let's move on uh Sunday there's two very enticing games Watford hosting Arsenal at uh 9 a.m it's not an enticing one when you look at where the two teams are placed in the league, but, uh, you know, Watford at home, they have had games against certain teams uh, like Manchester United, like Tottenham, like Chelsea, 
two of those teams, Tottenham and Chelsea, got like close wins there, but Manchester United got piped 4-1. Now with Arsenal, you know, steadying their form and looking like your odds on to get into top four, are you worried at all about this one or are you just kind of the mindset now that you guys can handle the relegation teams even away from home? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of at the mindset now where I think we're we're good enough that we can go to these away places that are kind of hard, but I think we can outwork these teams now. And I, and I think initially during Arteta's first two seasons um, and really until December of this season, whenever we went to these teams, it was hard for us to break them down even if we had the ball. Arsenal's completely changed this season primarily because of the rise of Martin Odegaard who has turned Arsenal into a team that I don't know if you remember under Arteta, but there was a joke when, you know, we were crossing the ball into the box 30, 40, 50 times in a game. And of course, there was no never anyone to get on the end of these crosses. Well, Arsenal is now the opposite. Arsenal is now the the team in the league with the most attacks through the middle of the pitch. Um, so through the 18 yard box, Arsenal creates the most chances in the league. Um, but see, that's just setting you guys up to be frustrated, I think, because the first thing Roy Hodgson is going to look to lock down is going to be the center of the pitch and, you know, force you guys Watford wide. just doesn't have the players there. to do it, though. I, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, like, I don't disagree with you, but, you know, they did just get a nil-nil at United last week away from home. But this I is also think Vickridge Arsenal Road. are much, much better than Manchester United defensively. And that in turn creates, I think, more of a balance offensively that isn't going to that's going to allow us to keep the ball more, much more than Manchester United were able to do against Watford. Manchester United are more of a counterattacking side than Arsenal are this season. Arsenal are very possession-based for the most part, and you know, even against Manchester City, we were attacking them. We, didn't, we never sat back in a low block and tried to defend against Manchester City, so the only times that Arsenal has really done that this year has been when we've gotten red cards, which has been a lot, but for the most part, We've attacked every single team we've played against, and at the beginning, it, it was kind of, we were just getting like one nil wins, narrow wins, and and it was shaky. But it doesn't feel like we've had a shaky, real shaky performance in a long time, at least in the Premier League. I think the last Burnley? time was really the ever the Everton game. The Burn the Burnley game can kind of be excused. We didn't we didn't have our full first team. Um, I just mean I just mean since we've had our our Jaka party in midfield. Um, along with you know, the the the, the our, our full backline or, or three three fourths of our backline because some players seems to always be missing either left right back but at least if we have most of our de- defenders and midfielders we've we've haven't had really had shaky performances again since the Everton game in December because even the Manchester City loss again like I felt like that was a a really good okay. performance from us. I don't want to put up too much of an argument because I do think you, I think you do it. I think it's one nil Arsenal. Remember, you did only beat them one nil in the home leg at the Emirates. Uh, I think that was when Ranieri had already come in, um, but that, that was a very tight game. And like, uh, and like I said, that was just, that I'm was at the beginning of our home, run. As bad as Watford yeah. are, they still fight and they're still very physical and frustrating to play against. I'm going to say pitch is small and yeah, I'm going to say three three one Arsenal. Okay. I'll stick with 1-0. Uh, I do just want to rewind back to Saturday, just mention some of the games that are going on that we're not necessarily going to talk about at length here. But uh, Leicester will host Leeds, who we should mention fired Marcelo Bielsa last weekend and have since brought in former uh, Red Bull New York 
manager, uh, Jesse Marsh. Since that Red Bull New York uh, job, he's managed at uh, Red Bull Salzburg, did well with them when Erling Holland was there, uh, and then took the job at RB Leipzig last year and uh, was fired earlier in the season after they had a disappointing start to the season. Uh, but I still think he's a very promising coaching candidate and in line with you know the principles that Leeds have sort of looked to set for themselves of being an attacking, pressing, open side that plays entertaining football. I don't know how good of a hire it is it is in in terms of, you know, stabilizing their Premier League status for this season because they are on an awful run of form at the moment and they have some really key pivotal injuries still. But something had to be done, right, Javier? Like, they couldn't keep going this way, losing, you know, 4-0 to a shit Spurs team and 6-0 to Liverpool before that. And Yeah, I mean, we were saying this last season, right? Like, you were saying you didn't, you weren't sure if that gun-ho style of Bielsa was going to work in the Premier League. And it felt like it did for his first year. But teams just this year have not been putting up with that bullshit. I mean, we've seen very few of those trademark that we thought was trademark Leeds Bielsa performances last season. We thought that was going to continue into this year. But it doesn't seem like the players have been able to work as hard as they've been trying to. But they just don't have the same amount of talent on the ball. Also, Calvin Phillips being in and out of the team the whole season has been so detrimental. And it's and not, then, just, Cal- it's and not then just Calvin Bamford. Phillips. It's Bamford hasn't been spine. there the whole time. Their entire spine. Bamford in uh, up front, Calvin Phillips in midfield, and Stephen Cooper, their captain, the Scottish center back. Uh, they've all been injured for big chunks of this season. So you'd have to feel for Marcelo Bielsa because you know some of no, these injuries. This you was think... always bound to happen. It, it happens at most clubs that Bielsa manages. It, it's not sustainable to keep trying to play that way with you know lesser resources. Uh, and while I do say that Mar- Jesse Marsh has a lot of similarities to the the kind of principles that Leeds have set for themselves. There is the big difference between Marcelo Bielsa is pretty much the only coach at like the highest level you see now playing like a man-to-man system. Whereas, you know, Marsh is much more of like the prototypical high press, but still within like a zonal system where, you know, players are helping for each other when, if and when the eventuality happens that someone is beaten defensively. I don't want to break down the, you know, the tactics of playing like a zonal system in soccer because it's just the basic way you play. But, you know, it's much easier for you to set yourself in a zone and, you know, recover for your teammate in the eventuality that they are beaten uh, by another player with the ball. In a man-to-man system, when you get beaten 1v1, even at like the other end of the pitch, that just creates like a cascading like domino effect of, of shit that you have to deal with and usually results in a goal which we've been seeing at Leeds for, you know, weeks now. So um, do, do you think he'll be enough to keep them up or are you, are, are you really worried about them getting relegated? No, I'm, I'm definitely worried about them now. Um, I thought Marcelo Bielsa was a good enough coach to probably keep them up. I, I, I'm not so sure about Jesse Marsh. There hasn't been much American success coaching-wise in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, it's only been Bob Bradley at uh, Swansea. And he did not last. And he's not. He's not a season, good coach. So, yeah. Well, they're going to go to uh, Leicester at seven thirty a.m. on Saturday to start things out this weekend. Aston Villa will host uh, Southampton at ten a.m. Uh, Newcastle will host Brighton. Brentford will go to Norwich, and uh, Crystal Palace will go to Wolves. Uh, meanwhile, the probably the biggest game in that ten a.m. time slot will be Chelsea back in the Premier League after three straight games and other competitions. Uh, going to turf more to a desperate Burnley team that is on the uptick. 
but I think Chelsea still will have enough with the players we were able to rest in this Luton game that I think we'll go to Burnley and win 2-1. Or are you worried for Chelsea, Javier, after I, the I, results Burnley have gotten I, recently? I am a little bit worried for you guys for a few reasons here, Alex. Not because you don't have the players, because you clearly have the players, but you struggled pretty badly. You needed like an 83rd minute Lukaku winner against Luton. With, I mean, you didn't start your full first team. Did you watch that game? No. I mean, I'm sure you destroyed them. No. I'm sure you Come had a on, bunch man. of chances. Like, you don't think I'd let you know if we struggled against Luton? Like, it wasn't it wasn't amazing, but like it was very clearly like a weird formation with like Loftus Cheek playing in the middle of a back three, and then Hudson Odoi and Kennedy as the wing backs. There were only two recognized defenders in that team. Of course, we conceded on a corner and then on a counterattack. Like. Like I'm not, I'm not saying I'm happy with the performance, but like at still at no point of that game was I thinking, oh, we're not going to win this. I was still like sitting there like we have enough players in the field that we can win this game. And it just eventually happened. So, you know, if we'd lost the Luton game, yeah, okay, I get it. People can turn around and be like, oh, Chelsea are falling apart. But this team is still very good. And the performance against Liverpool last weekend showed me enough to think like, oh, I shouldn't be worried about anything for Chelsea in the short term. Uh, it's the well, concerns no, I, long-term the, 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 where that the reason, the reason why in. I was going to say, wait, are you going to Turf Moor, you said? Yeah, at yeah, Turf Moor. Just because they're so resilient at home. Um, you know, there's been so much fucking rain in these last couple of weeks at Burnley. I don't know if it's going to be another cold, rainy night in Burnley, but if it is, I could see Chelsea having their usual can't-finish syndrome and getting a nil-nil here. Um, so that's actually what I'm going to predict. I'm going to see nil-nil. Just like with Arsenal. I do have to mention, well, okay, Burnley also just lost at home to Leicester, who had been, they hadn't won a game in 2022, and they beat Burnley 2-0. They all, like, Ben Mee also got injured in that game. He'll be out this weekend. Their left back, Eric Peters, is out. Uh, I mean, the rest of the team seems healthy enough, but, you know, Ben Mee is a pretty important, like, cog in their defense. And well, I think, I've just I think seen the lesser so one, I mean, it was... From Kai the Havertz. Le- yeah, the lesser one was the their fourth game in, like, two weeks or something. So I kind of, I, I kind of see why they had just gotten some pretty good results before that. So if they, there should yeah, be the win against yeah. Tottenham, the draw at crystal palace, those are good results. Now it's time for them to, you know, you know, fall off a little bit and then they'll, you know, have another, another push, you know, I, so did, did I say two, one? I think I did two, one Chelsea. I'm going to, I'm going to stick by it. That's all of the Saturday games, but the uh, final and, most important game of this weekend, I think we have to say, is Manchester City hosting Manchester United Sunday at 11.30 a.m. Do we give United any chance in this? I feel like there's a similar thing going on with them that w- yeah, that's no, going we've on with got Tottenham to. and Manchester we have City. To because they seem to all be the other bogey team than Manchester City for some right. reason. Can, it doesn't matter what the form. Times they've yeah, it doesn't them. matter the form. Like City have been on like 12 match winning streaks. United have been losing five straight games and then they'll go beat Man City 3-1 or something. And you're just like, what just happened? I don't know if it's going to happen here, but Manchester City haven't been firing on all cylinders recently. I mean, they've had... I know that we you said before that, we said on the last pod, before their last couple of little slip-ups, they'd won like 15 or 16 straight games in all competitions. So... Well, they've had it's the Southampton to... draw, the Tottenham loss. They barely beat Everton and probably should have drawn because a blatant handball by Rodri wasn't called after they were already 1-0 up. Uh, they got lucky in that game. Uh, and then, they, I mean, they beat Peterborough 
two nil in the FA Cup today or yesterday. So it's hard to say whether this that stretch of games with you know win like a a couple of draws, a win and a loss sprinkled in there, whether that's you know leading to them struggling against this Manchester United side. I'm not willing to put my balls on the table and <laughs> say United get anything though. I'm, I'm still of the mindset that City win this like two nil. All right, I've predicted City to win every single game this season. So for the first time, I'm not going to predict it. I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a bogey pick prediction because we've we said it we we keep we I think the last three times that we've done City Tottenham, we mention it and then we don't predict it. So I'm gonna say it here with United. I think Manchester United gets some sort of result here, like a draw, and City get very frustrated because De Gea has an amazing day at the office. He's been you know back to his best. And I'm going to say 1-1. Can United get that result with Cristiano Ronaldo starting up top in a game like this? Because I feel like there, there's no there's no press when you, when Ronaldo plays. Oh, now you're saying that, like, Alex? Maybe, Wait, maybe with Cavani? You were saying I was crazy earlier in the season when I was saying Manchester United are worse without Chris, with Cristiano Ronaldo no, in the team. I, I think I, I've agreed with you that he makes them worse in terms of the press for big games like this. But where you think that he would be a help to them would be against low block teams. That but are he hasn't really been a, a help anyway. to low block teams no, right. against low block teams. He hasn't. You're right. And, and in that regard, myself and many other people have been wrong. Uh, but he, he still has been playing games. And, you know, he no, got the but you know, Brighton, I would use but... Ronaldo. I would start either Cavani or Rashford up top. I think they need like Rashford, Sancho, Bruno up top, Pogba, Matic, Fred in midfield. Um, you know. Maybe uh, McTominay, Fred. Pogba. One of Cavani and Ronaldo will start them. Sure, I think it would be more likely that Cavani starts and Ronaldo's. But on the bench I, and but I think they they should bring on Ronaldo for you know twenty five minutes at the end of the game, let him run his socks off, and uh, get some chances and, and free kicks or whatever. But I, I, it's just for me, it's 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 holding United back. The, the longer that they rely on Manchester on Cristiano Ronaldo, they have to move on from him. It was a, an experiment that they tried. It didn't work. If they keep him for another season, it's going to be another wasted season. I mean, especially if they try to make keep trying to make him work and keep trying to make the team work for Cristiano. When at this age, at thirty seven, Cristiano should be working for the team and taking a step back and realizing that there's, you know, players like Alanga, uh, like Jaden Sancho, who who could take a mantle on this team and put this team on their back. Um, but I I think they're they're being kind of not not allowed to right now and. You'd think Cristiano is the type of player who, like, we were talking about it when he came in, who would, Rashford, we thought he was going to be amazing this season, that Rashford would take it to the next level having a, a player like Cristiano next to him. Rashford's been probably, this has been the worst season he's had at, at United since he broke into the first team. So I'm, I'm just... And it turns out he had, like, a, a very different kind of impact on uh, Mason Greenwood. Ooh, that was a good one, Alex. I like that one. I feel bad about it. I feel bad about it. It might not make it in. I don't know. <laughs> that better make it in. I love that. <laughs> Maybe not hilarious, but uh, it's a link that I've uh, I've established nonetheless. Um, final score prediction. You're sticking with, or you're saying a draw, Manchester. Yeah, United one one. Well, I'm going to say one one. I'll say two one. I'll update from two nil to two one, Manchester City. Um, but if United are going to get anything from this game. Uh, like in you know fixtures past against Manchester City, I think you're going to need to see a big performance by Paul Pogba. That, that those seem to be the 
the times recently that United have performed well have been when Paul Pogba is looking on it and like he's invested. So and you can usually tell that from the first five or ten minutes of watching him in a game, whether he's uh, in that state of mind or not. Oh, yeah, I almost forgot to mention uh, Tottenham will be playing. Uh, they did crash out of the FA Cup at Middlesbrough the other day. Uh, but on Monday, they'll be back in the Premier League facing Frank Lampard's Chelsea uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. This is two Jacqueline and uh, Hyde teams right now, you know, because Antonio right. Conte said literally he was like, I, I gave my team the whip after they lost. Um, and then he was like, after they lost to Burnley, and then he said he gave them a carrot after they beat Leeds 4-0. He was like, I think I need to give them the whip more. <laughs> he said uh, he said he, he sees that one one way to, to treat his team the is better than the, the other. Stick. Yeah, pretty Plata much. Oblomo, as the Colombians say. <laughs> um, but, but same thing with Frank. I mean, Frank surprised us a little bit in this last game against Manchester City, where we were saying he we thought he was going to attack, but he actually set up the team to defend and they almost got the nil nil um you know could have snuck him a win in there even uh, probably got really hard done by to not get a draw in that game do you think everton can get something here yeah absolutely or nil 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 sounds good <laughs> i mean i know you would like nil nil yeah saying, i would love like, a nil but i mean i'm honestly not that worried about spurs anymore unless they like start racking together results again. If they keep going like Jackal and Hyde, we're going to we're going to put a lot of distance between us. So, we already we already have 3 points on them with a game in hand, you know, so we could be 6 I. points away. You saying I already have 3 points on them. It's just No, I said we <laughs> we no, have no, 3 you points. You said on them. I, you forget that this is being recorded. <laughs> But yeah, we we would have been acceptable, but I don't know. I for some reason just made, made me chuckle. Uh, no, okay, yeah, I get it. I'm just talking about how likely is it these two draw nil nil. Uh, I think that's you know entirely possible. That you know as bad of form or inconsistent of form as Spurs have shown, Everton and Frank Lampard will still be going to, into this game with Everton. Everton only have 22 like points, is, okay. and they're like one point out of the relegation zone. They're two points. They need to get their shit together. So. Um, I'm going to say 1-1. I think it's a hard-fought game for both of them. Both teams desperately needed the points, and uh turns out with uh, sharing the spoils. I'll stick with nil-nil for that one. Uh, we can leave the Thursday games uh, until probably next week, if we record on uh, Wednesday of next week. It's, it is a know, double Norwich, game week, Chelsea, though, uh, for, for fantasy purposes. Southampton, Newcastle. Watford, double game week for Wolves, Wolves double Watford. game week for Watford, double game week for Villa, double game week for Southampton. Um, Chelsea. And double, no, no Chelsea double game week this week. Oh, really? That's weird. All right, well, let's uh, wrap things up Corruption. there anyway. Sorry. Javier, thank you for, uh, you know, standing in as a, uh, a sort of therapist for me, allowing me to, you know, work through this uh I only got him a few, a few good trolls in there for you, Alex. I'm sure you're going to listen back to it and get angry at some of the stuff eh, I said. You, you know, you could have you could have done better. You could have done better. You're right. I didn't. I wasn't prepared enough. <laughs> I, I I should have come at you with a lot more uh, like venomous comments and and uh, just really dug the knife in deep. But it's right. I was nice to you, Alex. You're lucky I was working today. All I'll say is uh, we know what we are. We know what we are. Champions of Europe. We know what we are. (laughs) 
and uh, you'll never sing that. <laughs> ah, Alex singing God. Uh, that's a pretty basic one, Javier. But uh, yeah, again, let's wrap things up there. If you want to follow Javier on Twitter, you can do so at JaviArev9. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ASMoss92. And you can follow the podcast socials on Twitter and Instagram at GhostGoalPod. Uh, again, if you're listening uh, to this pod on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please go ahead and drop us a rating, drop us a review if you can. Uh, those all help us uh, to get thrown out there to more new listeners, and we'd appreciate if you guys could help us grow the pod a little. So enjoy the games this weekend, up the shells, and until next time, see ya.